This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Hope you had a marvelous weekend. I certainly did and uh, worked straight through it, but I'm grateful to God that I had the strength and the health and the opportunity to do so. So glad that you're joining us this morning. We have got a surprise visit by the president to Ukraine. What does all of that mean? We're going to be talking about that for a few minutes at the bottom of the hour. We have to wait for all of this to unfold. And then we're going into the mayoral campaign all week long. I will be interviewing the candidate. I will be interviewing the candidates. I have, I'm going to reach out to the mayor today. I've reached out to Congressman Garcia's office, but today we're going to have Jamal Green and State Senator, excuse me, State Representative Cam Buckner. And um, as we had Alderman Rob Sawyer kicking things off on Friday, uh, we want to know what their positions are. Uh, what are their, who, who are their constituents? Of course, they will be all of Chicago, but who's their base? And what do they make of this campaign and what do they hope to do? Why are they running? What do they hope to do when one of them becomes mayor? Because someone is going to become mayor. You know you can vote in your wards right now, today. So please get out and vote. Voting ends, wraps up on the 28th of February. But voting day is really voting season. And so we're going to be talking with the White McKee, Katie Kurth, and Kevin Lampy about how uh, the discussions ought to be framed, what you we be talking about uh, in this election. Corporate media has shaped the discussion to talk about crime and only crime. But the fact is, Americans have a lot of concerns. Chicagoans have a lot of concerns. We're going to be talking about that today. On Monday, February 20th, 2023, everybody, let's get to some of these headlines. In Chicago, we'll have a high of 42 degrees today. It will be partly cloudy. In In Minneapolis, 37 degrees. There will be snow. The NBA All-Star Game. I mean, were they going to play for 200 points? My goodness, it was such a high-scoring game. LeBron James' 19th appearance. Wow, 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 wow. Can you believe he came out of high school, skipped college, and went right into the NBA? And he's still going at it, everybody. LeBron's team, however, they felt to Giannis' team. 184 to 175. Wow, everybody. And everybody had a great time out there in Salt Lake City, Utah. Jason Tatum was the MVP. We dedicate the show today to President James Earl Carter, affectionately known as President, known to all of us as President Jimmy Carter. 98 years of age, he's been to hospice care. You know, he has battled cancer over the past few years. He's had any number of health challenges. And even through that, he continues to teach Sunday school and advocate for the least of these all around the world, showing us what a what an American president should be, could be, uh, embodies so many of our hopes. Well, he's entered hospice care because I don't want any more treatment. He has a great life. And um, so we are sending him our love and prayers today, President Jimmy Carter. My father predicted in 1980, as he was most unpopular president of, his, of that moment, he said, when he leaves office, in time you will see he is the most decent man, perhaps to ever ever occupy this office, that he will be the most popular president uh, of our time, if not of all time. And boy, my father was prophetic about that. President Jimmy Carter in hospice now, but we just celebrate his life. What a one, 98 years of age and praying for his wife, Rosen, and his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Today, everybody. 
in the NHL, Chicago Five, the Maple Leafs Three, and the Wild Four, and the Predators Three. And, of course, the NBA will be returning to action over the next couple of days. I am Santita Jackson. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Let me know who you are going to be voting for in this election. Who you got? I mean, we've got nine people. We have an embarrassment of riches, if you will. Nine people who are running. And uh, it doesn't look like any of them are going to break 50%, but uh, we, I can tell you what. Um, there will be two people in the runoff on April 4th, should we have one. Who are you going to be voting for and why? Have you made up your mind? Many of many Chicagoans have not. And so we'll be talking we'll talk with Alderman Rod Sawyer. We will be talking with J. Mal Greeny and State Representative Cam Buckner today, Sophia King this week, Paul Ballas this week. And I'm hoping to speak with everybody else. I certainly will be reaching out today. So... Um, well, the surprise visit of the president, that is the headline today, the headline show, and the people of East Palestine, Ohio, are still struggling, everybody. Some people have even reported melting skin. That's right. And they are saying that um, they're having coughing fits and they're getting sick. What do you make of all of that? Indeed, East Palestine residents told, were told that the water was safe after there was testing paid for by. Norfolk Southern, the railway company, uh, whose uh, trains uh, really, uh, it was their accident. They are worth $53 billion. They have offered $1 million in total to everybody in that area. Just unbelievable. About $1,000 per resident. What do you think about that, everybody? That's right. And Joyce, happy birthday. You are listening celebrating your birthday. Give me much love. Hey, Paula. Hey, Papa Bacon out there. And, and what's it? Are you an O'Carr? That's right. I love it. I love it. And Dave Dowling. And all my morning stars, everybody. Like and share the show. Like and share the show. Hey, Laura. Like and share the show. Like and share the show. Jewel up there in New York. Then Eric Burroughs out there in L.A. Surely in beautiful Philadelphia, of course, praying for John Fetterman, your your uh, senator as well. But we have got Pam Morris Walton, our gospel sister, someone who's an icon in the world of church radio. And really, in the in the black church, we are so grateful for her. You've got to get her book, 57 Days. And thank you for reminding me of the true subtitle, Wait for a New Heart, Sparks a Spiritual Journey of Faith and Love. 57 Days, her Wait for a New Heart sparks a spiritual journey of faith and love, everybody. Get the book. You never know that she's had these struggles with her health. God is good. Pam Morris Walton, love you so yes. much today. Good morning, and yes, God is good, Santita. Yes. I'm so happy to be alive. I'm so happy to be alive. Yes, 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 yes. We need we need that and we need that. We absolutely need that. Need that just that that Reverend Doctor uh, Johnny Coleman used to talk about. You've got to approach each day as a gift that it is. So come right. on, help us get going today. All right. Today, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. And today I want to talk about this. I want to give you some inspiration as I can on counting your blessings. Matter of fact, count your blessings. 
count your blessings. Look at Santita. Look at the people that she is able to get to give you information. Count your blessings. The lady is blessed. Count your blessings. And remember, stress is a distraction to your blessings. Stress is a distraction. You from fulfilling God's call on your life. I'm not talking about anyone else's life, but your life. You can be all, you cannot be all things to, you cannot, you cannot. God can. You have to focus on being what God wants you to be and doing what he wants you to do. Whatever you are called to do in life, you, I'm speaking with you, you must learn how to keep stress from distracting you or destroying your peace of mind. You can learn to live with what scriptures describes as the peace that surpasses all understanding. It tells us in Philippians 4 and 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. For finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Things are changing. People, places, situations, circumstances. They flow in and out of your lives and sometimes turn our lives inside out. But one thing can be unchanging and constant in your life, and that is God. He has blessings prepared for you, blessings that will transform you, blessings that will keep you sane when the rest of the world is crazy. Blessings that will give you a firm grip when life seems to be more than you can handle. And in closing, when upon life's pillows, you are tempted when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your blessings and name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings and name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, and you will see what God has done. Dress is a distraction. Count your blessings. Thank you, Santita Jackson. Have a wonderful rest of the day, week, and program. I love you. Thank you for blessing me. Count your blessings one by one. We're getting a little bit of feedback. We're going to work that out right now. Dr. Shanina Knighton. Oh, I love you, Pam Morris-Walkins. Thank you so much, everybody. 50 days, wait for a new heart. It will, it is for all of us who know and love her, and so many millions of us do. It's Wait for a New Heart, sparks a spiritual journey of faith and love. Amen, amen, and amen. We have got Dr. Shanina Knighton in Ohio. 
in Cleveland specifically, uh, we've been talking about East Palestine, Ohio, and I know there's so many things that we can think about to talk about today, but I do want to ask you about what one should do um, should this kind of event visit any of us. We could all be in the midst of some environmental emergency. And now we're seeing that many people, uh, that, you know, the testing has been sloppy. Indeed, the testing uh, for the water safety was paid for by the rail company. And people there are saying that, you know, I feel sick. Um, my throat is burning. My skin is melting. I mean, we're hearing some real horror stories. They're watching the wildlife. They're watching the fish die. They're watching their pets die. Um, and on and on and on and on. Yet, many of them cannot afford to go anyplace else. And so, and that's most Americans. Most of us cannot afford an emergency room visit. So, my question for Dr. Shanina Knight, and, and you know, this has reached Cincinnati, in fact. Um, for for a time, the people of Cincinnati were told not to drink the water. And people are concerned now, many are not concerned about the water as much as they are concerned about the soil. They said this has permeated the soil. What does all this mean? I don't know, but I know that as an infection preventionist, you can help us to just, sh- should we hear those sirens blare? Should we see a message pop up on our phones or uh, on television? What should we do? Should we, con- should we keep a supply, for example, of a bottled water at home? I mean, if, if your eyes start burning, what do you do? Just give us a few points, you know, to help guide us because we're all vulnerable, Dr. Knighton. Good morning, Santita. And to your point, that vulnerability is one thing. And it's always so easy to say what you would do when you're not in that situation. So I just want to acknowledge that and send condolences, heartfelt, you know, sympathy out to those individuals that are currently in that situation right now. And the one thing that I continue to always preach is that prevention is better than treatment. And I talk about the whole notion of, like, staying ready so we don't have to get ready. It brings up a bigger conversation. And while this, let's say, was something that was unplanned, unexpected, that's typically how disasters happen. That's how disasters strike. That's how things occur. And it's at times when we're all vulnerable. We could all be vulnerable to, let's say, whether it is the East Palestine situation. You know, right now as we're in, let's say, wars, you know, and you mention this all the time, Santia, just the fact that, you know, nothing stops somebody from coming over here. Just like we got objects right now and nobody knows what's going on, but they just so happen to be hovering, right? Um, things can happen at any point in time. It could be weather-related. It could be war-related. It could be, you know, uh, a disaster because something, you know, blew up or set off. We've seen these things happen. And when I thought about this situation, somebody might say, well, this isn't a 9-11 because two buildings were not crashed into. However, the one thing that we don't take into account is just because something does not kill somebody on impact does not mean that people won't have long-lasting effects. Hence, when we think about 9-11 now, even still right now in 2023, you have those family members, 
those grandchildren, those great-grandchildren that are receiving some sort of benefit because of the long-term consequences, you know, of being exposed to radiation and the chemicals that were the unintended consequence of having that incident. Right now, individuals in East Palestine are experiencing that same exact thing. So, yes, initially there may have only been so many injuries or deaths, but now that you're looking at, okay, the fact that people may have compromised soil, they have compromised water, you say to yourself, am I so far removed from that situation? I encourage people, yes, keep them bottled water. You know, if, if I can afford $4 to go out and get a pack once a week or once every couple of weeks just to make sure that I have it on hand, even if you cannot bathe regularly in that water, but you need to take your medications because, again, individuals that live in neighborhoods that or, or places that are of lower income are more likely to be suffering also from chronic conditions. They're likely to be having, you know, situations of where they might be having congestive heart failure or some sort of other heart disease or some sort of respiratory illness, such as chronic uh, obstructive pulmonary disease. They may have high blood pressure. So just because disaster strike does not mean that these issues that we know is plaguing two-thirds of our population goes away. That means people need to be taking their medication still. And so the question is, is when disaster strikes, do you have medications that are put up? Do you have water to be able to take those medications? Because that right there in itself, taking care of self, is one of the most important things that you can do initially. That actually, believe it or not, Santita, making sure that you are taking care of, let's say, whether you take thyroid meds on a regular basis, getting that thyroid medication in your system is going to make a big difference opposed to you deciding whether or not you need water to drink or water to bathe. You need water to take your medications, right? So that's one of the things that would be important. The other thing is, yes, we do need water to be able to drink. This is not advertising for any particular kind of company, but there are, let's say, like life straws where you can get X amount of gallons of water as you may have to, let's say, use water from the stream. To my understanding, those straws are actually supposed to, like, filter out chemicals and things out of, and, you know, different things out of the actual water. Is it perfect? No. But it should take on a mechanism that could potentially exist. And I know that I'm stuck on water. Believe it or not, water does so many things that we just take it for granted. We needed to eat. We needed to bathe. We needed to do absolutely anything. So just being able to secure some of that, even, you know, in these situations, that would be one of the most important things that I can point out today. I know, Santita, we could go on and on and on about preventative measures, things to be able to work out, um, look out for. As I think about infection prevention and control, waterborne illnesses are a real thing. So when you think about a waterborne illness, how does that occur? It may occur from standing water. It may 
occur because someone doesn't have a way to drain out water or if the water is contaminated because of the sewage system, you're then compromised because of many different bacteria and funguses that can live in the water. So that is how it relates to infection prevention and control. So I continue to emphasize, first and foremost, if you don't think of anything else, think about the importance of water. Um, you know, and Americans live with so many conveniences that we take a lot for granted, that we just take for granted that we can walk over to the faucet and turn the water on and that it's going to work, uh, that our heating systems are going to work, that our cooling systems are going to work. Many, if not most people in the world, do not live with that kind of assurance uh, that their grid, their power grid is that strong, and our infrastructure is old. It is more than a century old. Think about that, everybody. Get that bottled water. Get those wipes so that you can keep yourself clean because personal hygiene, your physical hygiene can also impact your health. we got to talk about that tomorrow, this hygiene poverty that we've been talking about. Um, but, you know, we love Dr. Shanina Knighton. Hey, Dr. Nina, at H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. She can give you a lot of information about that. Please pray for the people of East Palestine, Ohio, and... Not just Ohio, it's it's an issue that is, quite frankly, that's going to concern all of us and consume all of us before it's all over. Let's talk about Ukraine with Bryce Green in just a few minutes on the Santita Jackson Show. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome back to the San Peter Jackson Show. Surprise, surprise. President Biden is in Ukraine. Please get out of there and get home, Mr. President, quickly. Oh, my gosh. We'll be talking with Bryce Green about that in just a couple seconds. Well, literally in one minute, but we have got a big event. Uh, Shapiro is honoring her son. They have a foundation and they're having a big event. They're sending kids to college and they need your help. Shapiro, what's going on? Yes, good morning, Santita, and we are sending kids to college at the Courtney Copeland Memorial Foundation, and we're having our gala, which is going to be on March 3rd. We're less than two weeks away, so we're asking everyone, if they can, to go to our website at www.copelandmemorial.com, www.copelandmemorial.com, to purchase your ticket. And all of the money that we're raising will go to support our programs, including our college uh, scholarship funds. So please help us out and come to this gala. We're going to have lots of fun, uh, dancing, music, entertainment, and uh, we're going to give away an award. So give us uh, a try this year and give us a call at 708-628-7734 or visit our website at www.copelandmemorial.com. Thank you so much, Santita. Absolutely. Shapiro Well, doing great work for the community. Everybody, before we bring up Kitty Kurz, Kevin Lampy, and Dwight McKee to talk about this mayoral race, we're going to have Jamal Green on at 7 and uh, State Representative Cam Buckner at 7.30. We're going to be talking to all the candidates. I'm reaching out to them as we speak. Um, of course, I surprised you. Bryce Green, as I, as we were all surprised, I heard the breaking news, uh, maybe about four o'clock this morning, that President Biden had gone, uh, that he is in Ukraine today. Um, so 
talk to me. And this is after uh, Secretary Blinken, you know, is, you know, I guess warning China not to send military assistance uh, to Russia. He says, they, in fact, he says China might give weapons to Russia. I mean, it seems like this is um, becoming much more serious. Bryce Green, your reaction? Well, there's been a lot of debate within Washington about how exactly we're going to continue supporting this war. Uh, If you go back to just a few months ago, uh, there were almost no voices who were saying, well, maybe we should look towards negotiation. Maybe we should look towards another option. But uh, that a lot of that started to change as uh, the situation in Ukraine became more clearly a stalemate and it became less likely that uh, the Ukraine would be able to repel completely repel the Russian invaders. Uh, if you go back to last December uh, or last fall, you can see the statements from our own joint chiefs or chairman of the joint chiefs of staff saying that, uh, well, maybe now in the winter it will be time to negotiate, and we're seeing some uh, wavering among support in uh, uh, on Congress and just public opinion in general. And so it's not exactly clear what this visit was designed to do. But one of the reasons that it could be uh, it could be to strengthen the ties between Ukraine and U.S. at a time where European allies are wavering, at a time where domestic support is wavering. Uh, And so this might strengthen the U.S. resolve. But also, this might be a sign that negotiations might be on the horizon. There have been all sorts of uh, speculation that the Beltway in Washington is trying to uh, have a soft landing from the massive amount of support that we're giving to Ukraine. And so this impromptu visit may be a reflection of that or a part of that process. It's difficult to say exactly but uh, this could be a positive development. Mm, I hope that it's a positive, positive development. It would be wonderful if this is opening the door um, to peace. But, of course, we will have to see. Everyone is surprised by this. Um, and you heard the sirens blaring, but um, we just we hope that this will open the door to peace. How likely do you think that will be? I mean, you had Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich uh, uniting the right and the left uh, in voices uh, asking for us to end our involvement in Ukraine. Uh, That is U.S. involvement in Ukraine. And even though the corporate media are telling us the opposite, uh, more and more people, not just Republicans, are calling for us to end our involvement. It's costing us so much money. And when you think of the people in East Palestine, 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 excuse me, Ohio, and I mean, you and you had an explosion in Cleveland. We're going to talk about that with Dr. Shanina Knighton. It's just we can't do all things at the same time, Bryce Green, uh, how much money have we given to Ukraine? And just kind of help us to tie a bow around this, because we're going to have you back in the morning to talk about this, should you have the time. Well, it's hard to track exactly how much money that we've given to Ukraine, given the complexity of the, the funding structures. But uh, in terms of total aid, we've given them well over $100 billion, well over the uh, you know the annual Russian military budget well over the budget for the American State Department, well over than the amount of money that we give to a lot of uh, good causes in the United States. And it's important to notice that this money passed without the uh, 
ritualistic asking of how are we going to pay for it. It's because they don't care how we're going to pay for it. They understand that we can print money and use our, our money how we see fit. They understand that we can continue to support this proxy war and that there'll be no resistance in the Washington Beltway. Uh, and that's been a serious problem. The stop the war or the rage against the war machine rally, that's a, something of a positive development within the, uh, you know, the American political sphere. But I think that the reason, if there, if there is a move towards easing tensions in Ukraine, towards finding some sort of solution, um, it's largely driven by the ultra-hawks in the American establishment. Many of them are concerned that America is focusing entirely too much attention on Russia and Ukraine and should be focusing instead on countering China. We've already seen the inauguration of several new military bases. Uh, uh, we've seen joint exercises. We've seen a lot of increase of tensions uh, in the Pacific theater, especially uh, following Nancy Pelosi's provocative visit to Taiwan. Uh, Congress is planning another provocative visit that they know will be provocative to China, and China will likely react, and the U.S. will use that to bolster their presence in the Pacific. And then we continue this escalation spiral. So it, there's no guarantee, at least for me, that uh, the easing of tensions in Ukraine, if that is what's happening, uh, will be a a 100% positive development, just given the nature of the people in charge. Right screen, everybody. Fairness and accuracy in reporting. Fairness and accuracy in reporting. President Biden is in Ukraine as we speak. We pray that he will have safe travels and will be able uh, to get home safely. And praying for all souls who are involved in that conflict over there. Praying for their for the safe resolution and the quick resolution of this of this war. Sending you much love. Thank you so much, Grace Green. Expect you to uh, have. More, even more information tomorrow when you come back on the Jackson Show. Blessings to you. Blessings to you. Everybody, we have got this um, mayoral race here in Chicago. We have nine candidates. Will anyone get 50% plus one? It doesn't seem so, but it does also seem like we have um, a driving issue shaped by the corporate media. And uh, what has ensued is now a someone who appears to have, at least in this nine-person field, um, a solid lead. So I had to bring on this crew to talk about it. We have missed Kitty Kurth, but she's been around the world, this brilliant political uh, political consultant, um, organizer, uh, democratic strategist, political strategist. We're so glad that you are back. And, of course, Kitty Kurth's husband. That's right. <laughs> Kevin Lampy. At least that's how we affectionately call him a credit to a credit to your gender, Kevin Lampy, and then Dwight McKee. <laughs> you know, that's what they do to women all the time. But, you know, you're such a strong man, and we love just the work that you and Kitty Kurth do jointly. And, of course, uh, the brilliant social scientist, Dwight McKee. Let me start with you, Kitty Kurth. Um, I'm sorry we had to abbreviate this segment, but, you know, with the president, who you were just with last week, uh, with him going to Ukraine, I said, we've got to at least talk about this because um, my heart just jumped when I heard that he was there. I mean, and just I said, I just want him to get out. I just I want my president to get home. I really do. And we're just praying for him. But what about um, 
what should we be looking for? I'm going to be interviewing the candidates all week. We're going to have Jamal Green, who's, been, who's impressed so many people, um, just with his grasp of policy and the issues. And State Representative Cam Buckner, who's done the same. He's impressed so many people. These are young people who are who are really aiming to make a difference. What about the corporate media shaping of the campaign, shaping of the message? And what about these candidates? I just want your assessment. We have missed you, Kitty Kurtz. Well, and I've missed you, Santita. You know, first of all, I just think we need to applaud both of these young men. They're really smart young men. They've both got good and interesting ideas. And I think for the long term of our city, we should just thank them for being willing to step up, step up and run. But then ask them why they're running. Why are they running? What are they going to do about affordable housing? What are their plans for the economy, short and long term? Um, you know, we can't, I know that they're, the discussion has evolved a lot around crime which and safety, which I do think are on a lot of people's minds. But we've got to get to the, we've got to get behind that. We've got to look at getting, you know, making sure that people have jobs. How are we going to educate people for the jobs that are going to exist in 20 years? I think that's where we need to start the discussion. Mm, amen. People and, and, you know, and repopulating the city. More and more Chicagoans are moving. It's just un- unaffordable. Kevin Lampy, um, what about this? What about this discussion? Of course, we are at Rainbow Push. We will be having, um, uh, hopefully a debate, uh, after if, if we have a runoff. First of all, Kevin, do you think, do you think we're going to have a runoff or do you think that it will be decided on the 28th? We we almost definitely have a runoff. I think it's going to be. I think the, the polling and what we're hearing on the streets is that uh, Paul Vallis um, is going to be be making the runoff, and then the question is, who's going to be the second? Um, so we're going to have a, a. It's going to be a tight group there, uh, fighting each other for that second place or first place in the um, in the runoff, and I think we're headed for a runoff, absolutely sure. And so that's what we need to do. And it's a shame we don't have ranked rank choice voting in the city, but this is the system we have, and so people need to get out and vote um, and make sure that they, put in, they get behind the candidate they agree with the most. Well, you know, the corporate media has shaped the campaign in that uh, they have zeroed in on crime, but many people, as you and Kitty both know, and Dwight McKee, uh, people are asking about more than crime. Indeed, you've zeroed in on Paul Vallis and the privatization of our public schools, um, dog whistle politics in particular, uh, which is something that no one's really talking about. But law and order is dog. I mean, these are dog whistle politics, Kevin Lampy. It absolutely is. And I think we need to talk about other things um, besides just the policing in general. I think we need to talk about misconduct. Uh, the Sun-Times over the weekend ran a uh, editorial about uh, Ronald Watts, the corrupt Chicago police officer who wrongfully participated in the wrong conviction of hundreds of people. And the city is going to end up paying millions and millions of dollars in lawsuits because of this misconduct on the police department. I think it's important to ask the, the, whoever's going to be the next mayor, how are we going to turn this around? How are we going to stop 
um, police misconduct, which is costing the taxpayers millions of dollars every year. Hmm. Dwight McKee, as you see it, um, how do you see this? How do you see this campaign? Um, is it about crime only, or is that the number one issue, or is it about other things? And what do you want to hear from the candidates? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, they've made it about crime, and they use crime as a foci for the campaign. But the fact of the matter is there are issues that's as important as crime. What has made crime such an important issue this campaign is that you've had always had crime in the black community. Now you have crime popping up in other unconventional communities where they're not used to crime. And so it's become a dominant theme only because the location is broadened not because crime has never been an issue for the black community. But what has happened is that it's become the dominant issue, and so those issues that have also been important to the brown and black communities have been overcome by the focus on crime. And so education and economic development and equity and police brutality and those things that we have had a momentum in trying to reverse have had all that took us a back seat to the crime issue. I think it's given Vallis an advantage because he's become the, the uh, law and order candidate, uh, as in some ways as Willie. But it has become, uh, as the brothers say, a real dog whistle that he gives to the white community to say that I can lock up these uh, people who are criminals, i.e. those folks who are in these other communities that are now in your communities robbing you and carjacking you. I can take care of that crowd. Uh, and they understand what he's saying and he understands what he's saying without actually saying it. Indeed, Kevin, that's something that you've been, uh, you have really put a laser-like focus on that. And why do you think that um, it's clear that the dog whistle politics are of concern to you? Why are you concerned about the dog whistle politics in the Chicago mayoral race? I'm very concerned because I think it's a divisive issue. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I have this great fear that, that uh, the next mayor could turn into, we could have a city council and the mayor that just spend the time fighting with, other, fighting with each other as opposed to fighting for the people of Chicago. Um, I think we, you know, the city has a racial divide, and I think it would, uh, if we, if, if, I think if Paul Ballas is elected, we're going to have a, a um, much more divisive um, city council, particularly fall along race lines, and that's just not good for anybody. Hmm. Kitty Curtis, I mean, what do you see? I mean, because you brought up affordable housing, economic development in the short term and the long term. Um, you're looking at, and when you look at affordable housing, of course, you have to look at homelessness. Um, you have to look at um, really just how we're going to exist 
Kitty Kirth. I mean, do you see any of the candidates really focusing on those issues? I mean, outside of crime? Um, well, first, I have to say that um, Dwight, as usual, put his finger right on the problem. It's not that it's not necessarily that crime has gotten worse. It's that crime has changed its venue. And all of the news producers and reporters and assignment editors, all of a sudden, they're seeing crime on their block. So Dwight had it hit the nail right on the head. Um, you know, I talk about affordable housing and homelessness because it's at the base of people feeling safe and people being able to get a job and people being able to worry about anything else. You know, if you don't feel like, if you don't have the safety, the personal safety of knowing where you're going to put your head every night and knowing that, you know, you're going to be able to have somewhere to come home to after your job or after school, that's kind of the basic the basic thing, you know, we, people have to have a home and they have to have food in their stomach. After that, we can talk about everything else. Hmm. And, you know, we've got so many vacant units and uh, housing, not just in the United States, but specifically in Chicago. I mean, people can be housed if we if we have the will to do that pretty good. We've got vacant units, but they need to be brought up to a health and safety standard. And we've got a lot of vacant land where we could be building modular housing that could be, there's great, there are great techniques that have been evolved, that are eco-friendly, that can provide people with a safe and zero energy usage to live in what our city needs to invest in them, our corporate banking entities need to be willing to lend people money to get up and started. But we could be well on our way to solving that part of the problem by next year at this time. If the mayor has the vision and pushes the financial um, pieces of the city into wanting to invest, wanting to truly invest in our future. And also, you know, if we invest in affordable housing, there'll be more jobs, there'll be more to get people into a positive future. Dwight hmm. so McKee, I got a couple of minutes before we before we've got to wrap, and I have to hope to have you all back in throughout the week because we're going we're going to be talking to these candidates. We really want to hear from them. What do you think that we need to hear from all nine of these persons? Well, I think we should hear uh, how more equitable resources are going to be raised and committed to those who for years and years and years, decades, have been left out of the equation. It's uh, I've been raising the question with some of the candidates. Uh, there was a real observation by Al Sampson that we should have a a, a fee on the transactions of uh, the Merck and the Board of Trade is that they do trillions of dollars worth of transactions and they live off the prerogatives in some ways of the poor who pay the taxes, 
who still uh, sustain those areas, who pay for the police in those areas, who pay for transportation in those areas. They live off the prerogatives um, of the people who surround downtown. The people who make the transactions actually live in the suburbs. But they really live off the prerogatives of people in the city, but they scot-free come in, make billions of dollars, and keep on stepping. And there should be a feta. I think there should be a feta to those transactions that will raise money uh, for those who subsidize uh, those situations. They can then be reinvested in housing and education and security and, and police and the teachers. But the fact of the matter is I think one of the reasons that they don't solve the problem is the best way to solve the problem is to eliminate the problem by eliminating the people. So I think in many ways there's a, a strategic plan to drive out the people and to turn their land, their vacant land, over to these educational entities and these hospitals and these corporate entities because all of the real land that's available for for use is land that was once owned by or inhabited by the poor and behind, and the minorities. And now that land, which used to be the slums in the ghetto, is now the most fertile uh, available land in the city. It's actually really the only available land in the city. So I think there's been a calculated effort uh, to really get those minorities off the land, which explains why, why one, the inequity in investment, and secondly, the closing down of those 50 schools is all part of that. Absolutely. Well, you know, we're going to be talking about that with these candidates throughout the week. And um, I'm so glad that um, I thank you, Kitty Kirk and Kevin Lampy and Dwight McKee for your patience today. But, you know, you were with the president last week helping to organize his visit to Wisconsin. Indeed, uh, we needed to cover that this morning. Uh, we are praying for the president uh, to have a safe trip to Ukraine and a safe trip out of there and a safe trip home. Let's talk with Jamal Green at the top of the hour and uh, State Representative Cam Buckner, who will be mayor. One of these men could be, and then you've got two women running too, everybody. Back with more of the Cedar Jackson Show in just a minute. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday, February 20th, 2023. Just eight days away from the mayoral uh, election in Chicago. Will we have a runoff if one of the nine candidates does not get 50% plus one? That's what we will have. We're going to have two of our candidates with us today, Jamal Green, who has been exciting everyone for 
quite some time with his activism and organizing, and State Representative Pam Buckner. Uh, both of them have shown us mastery of the issues, and we're very, very excited and honored that they will be on this show today. I'm Sandia Jackson, coming to you from WCC in Chicago, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. It is a joy to be with you. We're streaming on WCPT820.com and AM950radio.com. And please beat my morning stars on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page. Happy President's Day, everybody. Happy President's Day. Indeed, I have to put Frederick Douglass in that because it's his birthday around this time as well. And so he's one of the founding fathers of the new America, everybody. And we dedicate the show in a special way to President James Earl Carter, affectionately known as President Jimmy Carter, uh, a nuclear scientist who was a peanut farmer who became the president of the United States indeed. Um, he has really stood alone as an absolute symbol of decency and fairness, calling out injustice everywhere all around the world, fighting imperialism, uh, battling cancer, teaching Sunday school, building houses for humanity, habitats for humanity. He and his beloved, beautiful forever first lady, Uncle Carter. Um, we just thank God for him today. He has opted to not get any more care. He said, look, in great life. I want to go home and be with my family. God bless you, President Jimmy Carter, everybody. Uh, and we will be talking with Jamal Green in just a couple of minutes. And as we speak with Mr. Green, we will also pivot to State Representative Cam Buckner at the bottom of the hour to find out what their plans are for Chicago as they run to be mayor of Chicago. Let's get to a few of the headlines before we get to Mr. Jamal Green. The NBA All-Star Game, everybody, it seemed like they were going to hit 200 points last night. I don't know what to tell you, Team Giannis and Team LeBron. Team Giannis... 184, Team LeBron, 175, but LeBron James made history. He, uh, his 19th appearance, and he is set to have many more appearances. He will be the all-star of all time, everybody, of all time. Certainly, I heard Charles Barkley say, you know what? You can't compare Kareem to Michael Jordan, to LeBron James, to Kobe Bryant. These are all men of different eras, and they are all, they were all great in their time. And I think we just need to celebrate the greatness that we see in LeBron James and Steph Curry and Dwayne Wade and on and on and on and on. I agree with that. The MVP of the game last night was Jason Tatum, who put on quite a show. Blessings, blessings, blessings to everyone. Everyone today is talking about President Biden's surprise trip to the Ukraine. Of course, he was going to uh, Poland. Well, he took a little bit of a detour, everybody. Uh, and so he is in Kiev, went to a church with President Zelensky and pledged more support for the war. And those are just some of the headlines on the San Peter Jackson show. I want to abbreviate them so that we can get to, on this day, uh, Jamal Green. He is someone who's been really... So impressive, so young, and yet um, so seasoned, so um, so aware, not just of the issues, someone who just absolutely, I would just, dare, dare, dare I call you a policy wonk? I think you're really into policy. Most of us do not want to dig in the weeds that way, but you have absolutely done that. Of course, he's been a Bernie Sanders surrogate. Um, 
under the tutelage of our dear friend, Sister Beloved, uh, State Senator, Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, uh, one of the leading progressives in the country, indeed, in that in that space, Black Lives Matter, someone who fought uh, to preserve the dignity and for justice for Laquan McDonald. Um, but he is doing, he's continuing that work as he talks about public safety, economic development, and uh, climate change, and modernizing the city government, rooting out corruption. Everyone I present to you, a man who needs no introduction, Mr. J. Maul Green. Mr. J. Maul Green, I'm so glad that you're with us today. How are you today? I'm good. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. Let me just ask you a very simple question that might yield a a complex answer. Why are you running for mayor? Why do you want to be mayor? What do you think you can bring to that office? Well, I'm running because, you know, as I grew up in my neighborhood um, and I saw many of my friends um, die from gun violence, many of my friends living in abandoned buildings, uh, going into schools without resources to Um, give us the attention that we needed or the wraparound services that a lot of us needed coming from that environment. Um, Just having in the back of my head that I would die from gun violence growing up each and every day still to this day, thinking that that would be my fate, right? Uh, And then never seeing a politician who come into the neighborhood to even talk about uh, any tangible solutions. Like, you know, we didn't have a grocery store near was shopping at the corner store for our groceries. We didn't have or, or a liquor store. You know, we didn't have resources in a community where folks can get jobs. We didn't have, um, you know, the investment into young people, a pipeline to middle class jobs. So I'm running because there have been too many people left behind, too many people that have been rejected by, by the government, too many people um, who haven't been heard. Uh, and as an activist and organizer, I've been their primary voice for over 12 years now, since I was a teenager. Uh, and so I'm running to be that voice in City Hall and bring everybody together in this city and to move forward policies that will benefit um, everyone where anyone can grow and thrive, uh, no matter the neighborhood, no matter the income status, and we all can have a great future. You know, indeed, the corporate media have helped to really, they have shaped the issues in this campaign. They've talked about law and order, dog whistle politics. We have to be careful of that. Uh, almost to the exclusion of other issues, you've sought to highlight the equitable distribution of resources, not just what's happening in the park districts, but of city contracts, of really developing the south and west sides. Um, can you speak to that? I mean, what are the other issues Aside from public safety, I mean, because people talk about the crime on the ground, but no one's talking about how people are feeling as they ride the L, as they ride the buses. We were approached at the at the, at the Rainbow Push Forum. Uh, people said, wait a minute, do you know how scared I am to ride the bus, how scared I am to ride the train? So talk to me about the other issues that you see um, need amplification in this mayoral yeah. race, Mr. Green. Well... I think, you know, when people talk about public safety, most of the candidates in this race uh, love to talk about more police, right? Um, And that's a problem for me because you can't police your way out of poverty. Um, And so poverty is is a huge issue that I I talk about a lot and how to get people out of it. Um, And then we, we have to tackle all of the root causes of what's going on in public safety. So 
Um, when you talk about poverty, you're talking about mental health and reopening up mental health clinics. You're talking about reentry programs for those folks who return home so that they have the resources that they need so that they can be successful uh, um, and, and live middle-class lives. Um, we talk about the lead and the pipes is 380,000. Um, lead pipes in the city of Chicago right now, that could be a massive jobs program and we could be putting people to work, giving people careers as well as, um, as well as, you know, getting the poison out of um, our pipes. Right. Um, you know, so there are so many different issues. A lot of them tie into each other. Of course, when you talk about public safety or our CPA, um, it's the problems that are happening in the neighborhoods that exacerbates too, um, um the public transit. Uh, it's a mobile homeless shelter right now. Like we're we're not putting enough resources to have real temporary housing uh, and permanent increase our affordable housing supply, which is why I call for the creation of a public bank in the city of Chicago, so that we can have the economic engine that invests in public housing, invests in mortgages, invests in small businesses, and all the money that comes back uh, can go back to city services. It's not going to invest in private prisons like the other banks, uh, and the other banks aren't our partners in development. So we need our own economic engine, and that's why we need a public bank in the city of Chicago. But um, there are definitely a variety of issues that that I talk about, but I make sure that I talk about what's really going on on the grassroots level, not just saying we got to throw more and more money at police because that will not get us out of this situation. But to your credit, you're also helping um, young people and many of us who just kind of tuned out of politics, help you help us to see how the city works, how politics works, the equitable distribution of resources about the economy. You know, uh, some people are beginning to bring up, and indeed Alderman Sawyer did bring up the fact, that, as a former stockbroker himself, the billions, if not trillions, of dollars of, of business that, uh, and transactions at the Merck, at the Mercantile Exchange, at the Chicago Board of Trade, um, and there has been. People have said, you know, perhaps we should tax those transactions. I mean, please, if you can tax a soda pop, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, a piece of gum. Why not that, or work out something so that you know they, they, they make this money in Chicago, Mr. Green, and then they take it right out of Chicago? Is that yeah. something you'd be willing to explore, even? Well, you know, I'll be willing to explore. Uh, here's the, the the biggest problem. The biggest problem is is that um, we have to determine, is it better to tax them on a federal level or a city level? Because the problem is, is that if we tax them on a city level, a lot of them will just pack up and go to a different city so that they don't have to pay that tax. But if we tax them on a federal level, then they can't move anywhere because they'll be taxed regardless of where they are in the country, right? Um, So that's one of the things that we really have to determine uh, and really see what that impact looks like. And another thing is, you know, we have so much, uh, so many efficiencies in, in our budget. We got to make sure that we are, 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 you know, getting rid of all of the waste and all of the privatization, all of the corruption um, in our, in our budget. I mean, we got administrators of administrators, supervisors of administrators go on and on again, who's making six figures. They make a six figure. They don't even have real job titles because of corrupt jobs that they put in place um, for their friends. You know, there is probably a billion dollars of efficiencies in our government. And a lot of it is um, getting rid of the waste and prioritizing the money where need be. And I know you talked about, you know, well, uh, one of the biggest things I, I, I want to push is that we have to bridge the racial wealth gap in the city. 
And one of the things is about the contracts, right, that are coming down from the, the city and the state. We got a $28 billion enterprise, so whether it's supplies, construction, et cetera, we don't see um, you know, black people getting um, um, those job opportunities. One of the things that I talk about is that we need to remove black people out of minorities. Uh, and they needed, uh, we need our own identifier um, when it comes to con- the contracting process. So we have our own set asides and we make sure that these contractors get the amount of contracts that they're, that they're due, as well as if they don't have bonding or insurance that the city will step in and we will, we will bond them. So we have to be intentional about uh, um, bridging the racial wealth gap so that we can create opportunities for these communities so that we can create, uh, um, you know, folks, uh, middle class that can, uh, own homes and uh, open up businesses. You know, your first small, uh, your first business license should be free in the city of Chicago. We got to do what we can to create a new tax base in the city so that we're not continuing to balance our budget off of property taxes or uh, the poor people taxes like red light cameras and tickets, et cetera. Indeed, we're talking with Jamal Green, Mr. Jamal Green, candidate for mayor, um, noted activist, a noted political organizer, someone who is so adept at policy, and we have been getting a lot of information from him, from him this morning. We urge all of you to vote. You can vote in your wards right now. Please vote, 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 vote. The last day to vote is February 28th. Indeed, this is the voting season. You know, we are looking at this unfolding environmental disaster in East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, It's something that could happen to any of us at any time, but it's a disaster that is spreading, watching uh, wildlife that is dying, people's pets that are dying, who are dying, the lakes, the lakes, the rivers, the streams, the fish are dead, Um, people are sick. And yet we have lead in our water. We keep looking at Flint. We keep looking. My point is, Mr. Green, we look outside of Chicago. Well, we've got a real lead lead in the water problem right here in Chicago. What can we do about it? What can we do, A, to amplify it, identify it, and really have a, a plan to do something about it? What can be done about it? Well, you know, we must make sure that we got a fully funded and fully staffed Department of Environment. I think that's one of the biggest things that's important is a a department that really focuses on this problem because we're going to have a real problem in in several years. And it's going to be due to these mayors who keep on passing a bucket and not doing anything about the problems that are really hurting uh, communities. I mean, we just had a report that... Um, you know, show that um, the mayor knew about the explosion that was happening on the west side, um, you know, with a pollutant, uh, and they didn't do anything about it, and the explosion happened, and it, and it affected a lot of people, right? Um, we really must start to uh, put together a, a plan on how we're going to address our environmental crisis. Now, the lead pipes, of course, is a huge issue, right? They promised to change a lot of the pipes over the last four years. They've only changed 400 out of the 380,000, just 400. So there has to be an urgency there of really changing these lead pipes because the city of Chicago mandated these pipes uh, uh, up until, uh, um, I believe, the late 1980s. Uh, and so, you know, we have the obligation to change these pipes so that we can stop poisoning children. We got to make sure that everyone has water filters. You know, it'd be one of the first things we do to make sure that they have water filters until we can change these pipes. We're going to prohibit these um, lead service lines. We are also going to 
make sure that we create a massive green jobs program for the folks in these neighborhoods so they can help change these lead pipes. And then in regard to the pollutant um, companies who want to set up shop in our neighborhoods, we need to have districts that are just for them away from residential neighborhoods. Um, there's land all over the city, even on the southeast side where the U.S. Steel site used to be. Um, we need to start to look at more land opportunities um, for these um, um, industrial or um, um, polluting folks to be that are away from neighbors um, that it can affect. Um, this is a huge problem. When you look at the asthma rates, when you look at different health disparities, the top ones are on the south and west side, and that's because the air isn't as clean. That's because the water isn't clean. That's because they don't have access to fresh food, right? They're living in food deserts, which is why the city needs to have ownership of these grocery stores so that they won't just keep leaving uh, whenever they uh, um, feel like they're not going to make any more profit. Um, we have to be intentional about the basic human rights of these communities and clean air, clean water, um, food access. Uh, all of these things are super important and we got to make sure that we're the driver of it. You know, you came to the attention of so many. You've been doing a lot of work since you, like, as, as you did say, have known about you a long time um, since you were a teenager. What about uh, rooting out police corruption? Uh, what, what, I mean, that sounds very, very broad, but you know, you fought, no one fought harder for Laquan McDonald and justice for this boy, because he was a child, um, than you. Um, and you were not alone, but you absolutely were in the forefront of that struggle. What about dealing with police corruption today? Of course, we just saw what happened with Tyree Nichols, and, and we're still finding out more and more about that particular case. And uh, we have Holman, we had Holman Square here. I mean, we just have issues here in Chicago, and there is an absolute divide between the people, certainly of the South and West Side yeah. and the police. What can be done about that? What, as mayor, would you do about that? Well, you know, as, as you said, I've been working on this issue for many years, whether it was leading the Laquan McDonald movement, um, you know, helping to lead uh, the consent decree, um, putting that in place, which they don't abide by, uh, or, you know, I led the first week of protests with George Floyd's family. So, you know, I go on and on about how I've really been attached to the issue of policing for many years. Um, so I understand what it takes. Uh, and let me just first say what it takes is for us to stop throwing money at police thinking that and, and throwing them at every every problem, right? Because that's, that's not going to work. So one of the things that we talked about is we would dedicate $100 million to hire 1,200 social workers to start this department that responds to the, the half of the 911 calls that are nonviolent. Half of the 911 calls are mental health related or homelessness or nonviolent crimes. Uh, um, or, so we need to make sure that we have people equipped to respond to half of those calls and police can deal with just the, the violent crimes. We also need a youth intervention department where we have interventionists that have priority of young people 25 and under, whether if they um, have truancy problems or dropped out or if they get arrested, that a youth interventionist will be appointed and they'll be able to say, hey, we're going to mandate them to a six-month mentoring organization instead of just sending them to juvie again, or we're going to give them free housing, free counseling, et cetera. You know, we have to make sure that we're doing what works um, and not just continue to throw police at 
the pro- uh, the problem because it usually ends up in a tragic situation. And we got to root out corruption. Right now, we have a member of the Proud Boys that was exposed in a police department, and the mayor says that they they just want him suspended for 120 days. It will be zero tolerance in our police department if you have any affiliation with any hate groups. Um, you will be fired uh, in the city of Chicago as well as if you uh, um, misuse your camera, cut your camera off, impede any investigation because you touch your equipment, you'll be fined up to $5,000 per police, um, per case. Um, we're going to make sure that they get held accountable. We're spending $100 million on police misconduct settlements. We are going to make them have insurance so that they can pay for their own settlements. We got to do um, what makes sense of what works and, and re- get rid of the corruption in the police department, change the culture, uh, and then add on departments of people who really can respond to the majority of the cause instead of just police. So, one minute. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Well, I would like to say thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, you are amazing and a pioneer, and I, I, I really Thank you for having me. And then, you know, I also want to say people can go to our plans on uh, gogreenchicago.com. It's gogreenchicago.com. Um, punch one. Uh, you ain't even got to scroll. Just hit the first name you see when you open up that ballot. Um, but we are ready for transform uh, transformational change uh, in this city. Young people uh, are ready to lead. The two most demographics that we don't care about is, is our young people the youngest of them all and the eldest of them all. And we're going to change that in this city and make sure that we make this a better place for our seniors and our young people and bring everybody together to create a future we can all believe in together. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, J-Mall Green, everybody. J-Mall Green. What's that website again? GoGreenChicago.com. Honoring us today. And thank you for all of the work that you are doing. As a young person, you're making me feel real good. Not me, the young person. I was once. <laughs> you're a young person now. <laughs> hey, I'm good. I'm glad to be your elder. Back to more than San Diego Jackson, too, in just a minute. <laughs> we can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Uh, we are talking with mayoral candidates. We just spoke with Jamal Green, but now we are honored to have Illinois State Representative Cam Buckner, uh, one of the fighting Illini, a mighty man of Omega Sci Fi, indeed, a public servant from the 26th District here in Illinois. Um, it's one of the one of the joys of this campaign has been seeing young men like you, um, State Representative Buckner, so young, so able, uh, just willing to serve the public and really coming up with some great ideas. Um, you know, you have a plan to grow the Chicago population. 200,000 to 300,000 African-Americans, black people, have been forced out of the city. Um, you want to talk about uh, city council reform. We want to talk about affordable housing. There's just so much that is 
at stake and so much that is on the table right now. But let me start here. Would you please tell us why it is that you are running for mayor, why you want to be mayor, what you hope to bring to that office? Absolutely. Santita, listen, I think there's something special about growing and blossoming in the in the actual dirt that you were planted in. I'm a Chicago kid. I'm from here, born and raised here. Uh, I'm a CPS graduate. Uh, uh, if I do become mayor, I'll be the first CPS graduate to be mayor since Harold Washington. Um, I, I represent a very diverse district in Chicago. Um, and honestly, you know, my, my parents moved here uh, in Ninth Bowl. My, my mother came here from a small town in Mississippi in 1955. And she came here because in the town next door to her in 1955, Emmett Till was murdered. Um, and my grandparents uh, at that point realized that they needed to find a way to give safety and opportunity to their children. And Chicago was the place that symbolized that for them. Uh, and I, I realize now as I'm raising my son, who was 14 months old, that um, that same safety and opportunity eludes many of the young people in this city. And so I'm running for mayor to make a change. I'm running for mayor because I really do believe that we have an opportunity to be the greatest city on earth. We just need the right leadership to get us there. Well, which takes me to the fact that you've got a young family now. You've got a baby. Um, and so many, uh, every black person has the talk with their black son and now with their black daughters. You have some kind of talk with your black children in, in America. Uh, what do we do to keep our children safe, particularly in light of police misconduct, um, which leads to the deaths of so many, as we see in the case of Tyree Nichols and so many others. What do you, what would you like to do? What do you see that we need to, to really root out that kind of misbehavior, these misdeeds on the police force? I mean, do we tie um, the compensation, which has cost the, the city hundreds of millions of dollars? Uh, do we tie that to their pensions? I mean, what should be done? So we, we need true accountability, and I've been able to lead the fight in Springfield to begin with that. The reason that every police officer in the state of Illinois now has a body camera is because of the work that I fought for in Springfield. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that that's not enough. Um, and, and Santita, it's not enough just to change policing in Chicago. We have to change Chicago. We have to change the way uh, that we um, look at especially our young uh, black men and, and the way that, that we approach them. Um, I come to this from a very nuanced perspective. My, my father was a police officer, but he also was my father. Right? And so we had this this conversation a lot and the talk uh, happened on a normal basis uh, between he and I uh, just about how I maneuver in this space. Um, there are a few things that I've put forth on how we change um, uh, culture and create accountability in Chicago, but the first thing we got to do is, is create um, a, a end to qualified immunity. Right. For those folks who don't know, qualified immunity is the federal judicial doctrine that uh, that protects police officers um, when they go outside of the bounds of their of their training and they uh, take the life of a, life of a person. Um, no, none of us can go to our job and kill somebody and get away with it, um, and that should not be true for anyone that wears a badge as well. Mm. Representative Illinois State Representative Cam Cam Buckner a candidate for mayor, and he's got some really interesting ideas that he would like to bring to City Hall, and so let's begin. What about your plan to grow the city population? We've lost so many African Americans. Now, see, I'm older than you. When I grew up, you had Independence Bank. Thankfully, we now have Seaway once again. Um, this was really the capital for black business. We were, to black business, what Harlem was to culture. 
in the 20s and 30s. We experienced that kind of renaissance here in Chicago. And much of that has fallen by the wayside. Um, what is your plan to, uh, to spark the growth in population? Indeed, why do we need to spark the growth in population in Chicago? And then what is the plan? Yes, there are a few things for, for a few reasons why we have to, to do this. First, and when you look at Chicago's legacy debt, when you look at our pension issues, uh, the fact that we are um, in the hole uh, by hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, actually, in some cases, uh, um, when it comes to paying folks what we owe them, uh, we have to look at how we move the needle. And the, the answer is not more taxes, per se. The, ex, the, the answer is to grow our tax base, is to uh, invite more people to Chicago, and specifically more black folks, because, as you said, Santita, this um, this was the epicenter of black culture and business in this in this country. Um, Harlem was like our little cousin, right? Like Chicago mm-hmm. uh, was and, and is it, right? And so when I when I talk about growing the population uh, to three million people by the year twenty thirty, which is which is the next census, it does a few things for us. It gives us more federal money um, uh, coming from Washington D.C. It gives us more money coming from Springfield. Um, it allows us to be able to stand up business and uh, economics in a way that is uh, helpful for communities that have been left behind. Uh, but, but more importantly, it puts more money and more people into our school system. Uh, I am a, I know just like you, I'm, I'm a CPS graduate. Um, and to me, it's very important that we we do the work to give our young people the ability um, to compete in a global economy. We also have to have more young people in our schools. Uh, we know we saw 50 school closings, you know, uh, 10 years ago at this point. Um, and we are probably going to have to have a conversation now about uh, what we're going to do with a lot of school buildings that are empty. But I truly believe that we have the opportunity to welcome more black folks to Chicago, more folks who are coming here as asylum seekers, more people who are uh, fleeing the climate change uh, revolution around the world uh, to come to Chicago and to live here and to be, be a part of the growth of the great city on earth. We're talking with State Representative, Illinois State Representative Cam Buckner, about his plans for Chicago should he become mayor. Indeed, he is running for mayor right now. And right now you can vote in your ward through the 28th of February. We have eight days, everybody. Do not let the minority determine what the majority needs. Get out and vote today. Uh, State Representative Buckner, let me ask you about affordable housing indeed. Because of the unaffordability of housing, uh, black people have been pushed out of Chicago. Many working people are being pushed out of Chicago of all colors. Um, because of the unaffordability of housing, our, ho- our housing population, our homelessness population is growing. What do we do about affordable housing in Chicago? Yeah, so we talked a lot in, in my campaign. We talked a lot about embracing the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless is um, Bring Chicago Home Initiative, which which is a a um, increase in the real estate transfer tax for only for uh, real estate transfers in Chicago that are uh, one million dollars or more, right? And just to put it into context, we don't have a whole lot of one million dollar or more uh, transfers here. Um, King Griffin just sold his condo downtown for I think seven million. Um, I'm sorry, twenty seven million, and you know there 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 are uh, other transactions that fall into that space. Uh, we have sixty five thousand unhoused people in the city, Santita, and the uh, unfortunate part about that is that twenty thousand of them are young people, are are youth uh, in CPS, right? And so I've talked a lot about uh, doing the work to raise that that that. Um, that, that tax to get to get money to go specifically to housing and security, but we got to. 
talk about where we're going to put it, right? And so um, I've talked about putting money into the permanent supportive housing uh, space so we can make sure we stand up uh, those those uh, those actually those houses. Um, I've also talked about making sure that we can uh, find ways to put money into the new homes for Chicago program and the Trouble Building Initiative and putting more money into our non-congregate homeless shelters. Uh, there's a lot that we can do. The other thing that I think is really important that, that not enough people are talking about is that, unfortunately, so many of our women and men who have served this country in the armed forces, uh, they are the folks who are experiencing housing and security in this city. Uh, and so they have the ability um, to use their federal benefits to house themselves. But unfortunately, the city is not helping them do that. And so I've also talked about standing up, reconstituting re, 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 uh, um, the Department of Veteran Affairs within City Hall to make sure that we are making giving these people everything they need when, when we talk about moving them forward and giving them housing. Um, listen, Chicago has the ability to be the most ho- affordable housing friendly city in the country, and under a Buckner administration, we will do that. Mm, talking with a, with the Illinois State Representative Cam Buckner, who is a candidate for mayor. What about you know? And I know you've got to be concerned about this as. As a new young father, you and your wife, as parents, what about the lead in the water? We all know the studies uh, continue to come forward about how lead negatively impacts our children, for example, but it negatively impacts all of us. And we have a lead water, lead water problem in Chicago also, which is really not getting the, the attention that it needs to get. I mean, it's been mandated that the pipes be changed and only 400 of them have been. What would your administration do about that? Yeah, this is a big deal, Santita. And and I want people in Chicago to realize that this is not a Flint, Michigan problem. This is not a Jackson, Mississippi problem. This is a Chicago problem. Um, and we have 400,000 lead service lines in this city. It's more than any other city in the country. And what we've seen uh, is that I mean, the past administration uh, didn't admit that it was in it was an issue, and this current administration has admitted it, but we haven't seen enough movement on this. Um, if you listen to the federal government, they will tell you that there is no amount of lead water that is safe for the human consumption. Um, and so we are literally poisoning our, poisoning our people, and specifically poisoning our young people. And so when we talk about lead service lines, uh, I really believe that we have to uh, quadrant the um, the city up into into portions um, from a triage standpoint and figure out the places where we have to do the work first, um, places that have uh, pregnant women and, and young people. We can't continue to poison them, right? And so that have found ways to, to do that work first. Um, there are cities like Denver and Detroit that have found ways to do this at a cheaper, um, more effective rate than, than Chicago is. There's a new trenchless way to actually go into the ground to remove these lead service lines. But the biggest thing, Santita, is that we cannot make people in Chicago feel like it is their problem um, and their op- their obligation to fix this. This is a city problem, and it's a city problem because um, the reason we have more lead service lines anywhere else in the in the world is that because into nineteen up into nineteen eighty six, the city code, the city building code, required that we use lead to build our service lines, and so this was a mandate from the city. The city has to step up to fix this. Mm, out. You know, economic development. I mean, that is something that you've spoken to as well. Uh, We do not have an equitable distribution of city contracts, for example. You have a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, particularly black entrepreneurs, who complain, look, when I'm trying to 
start business or get business from the city, I mean, the process of trying to, of filling out the papers, I can't afford, I cannot afford to take time for my business to do that. What about economic development, particularly with the most vulnerable communities, with some people who really are fine entrepreneurs, they just don't have the opportunity, they can't get through the door? Yeah, we have to have a real conversation about economics, especially in the black community. Um, uh, for, for black business owners and black people in the business community, uh, we have done so much with so little for so long uh, that we're used to it. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that we, we got to be able to move past this. Um, it, it is okay for for city government to be able to help to build uh, black wealth and, and to create black uh, millionaires. And, and unfortunately, we haven't had a intentional conversation about that. When I talk about contractors, both sub and prime um, and professional services, the city can city hall can lead in that conversation. Unfortunately, uh, when you look at the the uh, the contract numbers in the city, um, there are about eleven percent uh, black uh, contractors who are getting uh, contracts in the city um, from from city hall. There are about fourteen percent Latino. Um, those numbers do not coincide with the demographics. And so, what I've been very clear about is taking the the, the same route that Harold Washington took. I mean, unfortunately, he wasn't able to finish this because he, he left us before um, he was able to, to get this going. But um, it's the same thing that Maynard Jackson did in Atlanta. Um, the percentage of contracts that leave City Hall have to go to the percent, have to be aligned with the percentage of, of, of demographics that we have in the city as well. It's the only appropriate way to move the city forward. Please talk to me about the City Council. You know, many people talk about rooting out corruption and making things right there. One of the concerns that you have is reform on the city council. What would that look like? First of all, why do we need it? What needs to be reformed? What needs to be shaken up and changed? Yeah, so we talk a lot about all demanding prerogative, and I think that that's a bit of a red herring. Um, listen, every person who lives in Chicago, who lives in one of the 50 wards, uh, lives uh, in, a, in, a, in a space, and 55,000 other people live in that space, and, and they are represented by an older person. And uh, actually, I like that process. I like the way that that is it's formulated. However, um, you know, city council for years has not been a very uh, real um, effective legislative body. The, the mayor has, has run the city and, and um, you know, people give me pushback on this because like, you're giving up your power if you become mayor. I, I get it, I, but I really do believe that more voices at the table are, are better. And so I, I want to make city council a true legislative body, just like we do in Springfield, just like um, uh, we've seen in, in Washington, D.C. Um, I, I think that we need a, a, a speaker or a president president of the council uh, who is their leader or elected by them. I think that leader needs to then pick um, the uh, the committee chairs um, because way too often we've seen committee chairs be picked by the mayor and, and, uh, and we've seen legislation killed. I also want to make sure that there's a parliamentarian uh, specifically for the city council so they can get their work done. I, I, I really believe that more co-governance is the answer on how we move forward, Santita, and we can't continue to stifle voices. Um, and listen, the truth of the matter is that um, Chicago is the only city in the country, the only large city in the country, that does not have a city charter. Um, a charter is like city constitution. Wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. We don't have a what? We don't have a charter. So to, the way that, that Chicago operates is by a very old, antiquated 1800s um, state law. Um, and by custom and tradition, 
we're making this thing up as we go along. The, the, the mayor is not the presiding officer of city council, but we've done it, done it that way um, for, you know, 100 years. So we continue to do it that way. I, I think we need a document in place to tell us how we're supposed to operate, um, not just because it gives us um, some, you know, a format of how to move, but it also stops things from happening like, Maxfield being demolished in the middle in the middle of the night. It also stops things like the parking meter deal um, and some of the I think heavy-handed things we've seen mayors do over time uh, that have put this city in a, in a worse position. So what does what would it, so a city charter? Oh, I, wow, what does it, what 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 will it do? How would it impact um, the city council, the mayor? the alderman, and just how, how business works in Chicago. What, what would that do? So it, it will streamline things, right? It, it will get rid of uh, kind of the, the old way of doing things. It will give us a very clear blueprint on, on what is and what is not acceptable and, and, and illegal uh, in this city. Uh, it, will, it would also, I think, once again, make the city council more of a legislative body and a check on the executive. Um, what's important to me, Santita, is this, I like power. Power is great, you know. Most people like power, but um, what's important to me is to institutionalize a uh, a process in which um, things can get done in the city so that no matter who the mayor is, whether it's Rahm Emanuel, Lloyd Lightfoot, or Cam Buckner, or Santita Jackson, that we actually are able um, to move things for the people of Chicago without getting hamstrung uh, into uh, the, the issues of the past that have made it difficult uh, to see progress here. Well, you know, you and I both went and graduated from uh, the Chicago public school system. I was there K-12, and I'm so proud of it. And I know that um, when the intentionality is there, you can have, um, you can, I mean, you can have nationally competitive schools, but it shouldn't just be the Paytons and the Whitney Youngs and the Northside Preps and the Joneses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We used to have, in my time, uh, yeah. The neighborhood schools were nationally competitive. The Kenwoods, the South Shores, it's at Lindblom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet we're closing schools. I mean, what is your plan to revitalize our public schools? Because I would think that we need more schools, not fewer. Well, I'm glad you said that. Um, you know, currently, San Peter, there is a moratorium on school closings in Chicago. So there cannot be any school closings in this city until 2025. Uh, that um, was a law that was passed in Springfield two years ago, and I wrote that law. I wrote that law, and I and I carried it. It was my legislation, and I'm very um, proud of doing that. But I did that to give CPS the runway to find ways to fix what's going on with our school system. I agree. We cannot continue to turn our backs on our young people. They are literally our future, uh, and we are mortgaging the future of this city when, when, when we do that. Um, as, as we talked about, I mean, I'm a CPS kid just like you, uh, K-12. through I went to Morgan Park High School. My mother spent 33 years as a CPS teacher. Uh, my little sister is currently a CPS teacher on the south side. My older sister is currently a CPS principal on the west side. This is very important to me and very personal to me, uh, and I'm looking forward to the day that my son can be a fourth-generation CPS graduate. Um, but uh, we've got to put more money and more resources into uh, our, our, our school system here. Listen, we literally are leaving 
so many of our young people out of the equation. We have a a process called selective enrollment, which means that we're selecting uh, who gets the chance to succeed, and we're leaving way too many people behind. And so, um, I think Chicago has the opportunity to lead the lead the charge, be the tip of the of the spear, uh, you know, nationwide on how we fix the school uh, system issue here and how we really truly invest in young people. State Representative Buckner, we've got a couple of minutes before we before we exit from here, and I want everyone to stay with me. He's agreed to uh, just to give a really a, a fuller wrap up of of where he is uh, on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and the Santita Jackson and Friends Radio. We are streaming now. The corporate media have really shaped the message of this campaign, and they have made it all about crime, which is forced. Um, one of your fellow candidates to the top of the heap, if you will. But when you talk to people in the community, uh, crime is not the only issue. I mean, crime is now impacting, I dare say, the white community in ways that we've had to live with in the black community every single day. So we're, we're looking at everything, at everything. As you see it, what are the top issues that need to be addressed in this campaign? I've got two minutes for you. Okay. I'm glad you framed the, the conversation that way because I'll say this. We talk a lot about crime, but to, to me, crime is not the biggest issue. Crime is not the, um, uh, is not the, the thing that we're, that we're trying to find a way to deal with. Crime is a symptom. Crime is not a, the disease per se. The disease is a lack of investment in public safety. And so when I look at public safety, public safety to me is not CPD. Um, public safety is CPS. Public safety safety is our housing uh, stock, affordable housing stock. Public safety is our mental health issues here. Uh, um, we have to create a city that we can actually put money and resources and time into the things that really matter the most. Um, whether you live in Inglewood or Edgewater, uh, the things that you need to be able to survive and thrive are the same. You need you need you know good functioning schools. You need to be able to have a grocery store near you. Near you. You need to be able to have economic vitality in, in your community. And for way too often, we've uh, negated uh, giving communities that, and then we want to ask them what's wrong with them and why is crime occurring. We have to invest in the things that matter the most to people. And so, um, what I've put forth, Santita, in, in my my quest to be mayor of Chicago is a true plan for the people of Chicago who love Chicago, who just want Chicago to love them back, and who want a really uh, a really clear-cut plan for it. We have to build and grow a city where where you where you live does not determine if you live. What is your website so that people can read more fully uh, your platform? Absolutely. So it's CAM with a K, K-A-M, CAMformayor.com. That's K-A-M for mayor.com. Omega sci-fi symbols all over it, but, you know, don't pay attention to that. Fighting the line, I symbols all over that, but don't pay attention to that. <laughs> Just make sure that you go to that website. Wow, and you're right. You and my father did pledge, pledge Omega sci-fi at the same chapter because we pledged at the University of Illinois. 